Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Politics by Faith. I'm Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. We have a special episode for you today. Last February, we recorded on the TV show a special about the book of Exodus. We actually did five specials, one of each book of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, So I want to give you Exodus. This is a great one. It has the Ten Commandments in it. Pretty important. So we go over them all. So here's how the special goes. The first segment, we talk about the first four commandments. Those are the ones between you and God. Then we talk with the great Dennis Prager, who has wonderful uh, study Bibles, I guess you call them. I think he's got Genesis, Exodus, and Deuteronomy. Except he did Exodus first because of the Ten Commandments. But they're great. You should definitely buy those. So we talk with Dennis Prager. And then we talk with our good friend Tom Askell from the Founders Ministry. He's fantastic. And then we finish up and we talk about the, the last six commandments, which are between you and other people. So this is a very nice overview on the importance and relevance of the book of Exodus. That's the purpose of doing these specials on, on the Torah is this really, really old book is very relevant, supremely re- the most relevant thing to you, your life, your family, this country, and especially Exodus and the relevancy of Exodus to this country because our founders believed that America was the second great Exodus from tyranny to freedom. It's a beautiful thing. So enjoy our special on Exodus. Hey, Slider Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks so much for being here. And today's special, we're gonna talk about Exodus. The point of this special is to help us understand the relevancy of this really, really old book. When I was an atheist, I would be like, oh, who cares, that was a long time ago. There's no relevancy of that to my life today and how foolish I was. And hopefully, uh, uh, pique your curiosity enough to go read it for maybe the first time or read it again. You'll always gain more insight. We have the great Dennis Prager coming up in the next segment and then the wonderful Tom Askell from Founders Ministry to give us even more insight. In this opening segment, I wanna introduce Some of the Ten Commandments, oh, we got to go fast, so we're just going to be pretty surface here, right? But I do want to make the point that it's not, I don't think this is the pivot point, but it's certainly a pivot point in the downfall of our country and our society was when the Ten Commandments were removed from schools. Now, listen, don't laugh it off. I know this wasn't wasn't like the one moment, and surely society was led astray well before the removal of them, right? Otherwise, no one would have ever thought to remove them, right? But if kids these days knew the Ten Commandments, we'd be in a totally different place today. I truly believe that. The first one is all you really need. You shall have no other gods before me. As Steve DeWitt says, if you get that one right, you don't even need the rest. Unfortunately, we don't get that one right, so we need all the rest. The first four deal with you and God, vertical. The next six are horizontal. It's about you and other people. I wanna focus on uh, the first four here and then we'll wrap up the show with the, uh, with the remaining six, cool? 
So uh, first thing to note, when God started these commandments, right before it, no one quotes this, but God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He didn't just start off with commandments. He started with relationship. Look at all I've done to, to serve and love you and save you already. Look at all I've done. I am Yahweh to save you. I've shown you my love, my power, mercy, grace, saving you from slavery. That's who I am. Therefore, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? So this means is when you worship anything other than God. And we do it all the time. <laughs> Let's be honest. What consumes your heart? Your thinking. Your time. Your bank account. Your mind. Whatever that is, it's a God. It's an idol. It can be bad things. Fear can be an idol of yours. It can also be really good things. Your kids. Your career. You can easily make your kids an idol. Which means really you're just idolizing you in a way. Everything's about me in the end. The ancient Greeks and Romans, they had their own gods. Zeus, Apollo, all the rest, right? But they were just... They were gods, and they were also icons of things. Sex, money, food, like Dionysus, right? We do the same thing. <laughs> we're no different. C.S. Lewis makes this point on the difference between first things and secondary things. The first things are the things that God designed to be first in our hearts, primarily himself. The secondary things are good as long as they remain secondary. The problems come when we start making secondary things the primary. And that's what God warns you about first. Second commandment, the text you can see here on the screen. Basically, don't make any carved images of me. Right? We'll talk more about this with Dennis Prager in, in a couple minutes here. The first one is about your heart towards God. The second commandment is about your application. Don't make false idols. Don't worship them and don't make them. <laughs> right? Uh, imagine if a child... There, my son drew this yesterday. Imagine if a child drew a picture. This is actually a picture... I don't know if you can see it. It's actually a picture of a monster, but... Imagine it was a picture of me. My son's five. And he drew a picture of daddy. And he said, this is my daddy. And I said, well, no, son, that's a picture of me, your daddy. And Jack says, no, this is at this right here. Like, this is my daddy. This piece of, like, that would be so foolish. Like, this is not my dad. This is a picture of, but it can't do daddy true justice, right? We'll talk later about Aaron making a golden calf. Right? And he's just like the Egyptians did. And he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then they had a big feast and an orgy. And you read that, you're like, oh, you idiot. A few weeks ago, you crossed through the Red Sea and now you're worshiping a cow. God says, don't do that. Third commandment. Again, the first one is uh, love and prioritize God more than anything. Number two, worship the right way. And number three, your tongue. Fix it. If I went and uh, I went to the tomb of the unknown soldier and I went up to it and I sprayed graffiti on it. How would you feel about me? When you use God's, the Lord's name in vain, you're doing much worse than even that. Watch your tongue. The Bible's full of it. Proverbs says your own soul is nourished when you're kind, but you destroy yourself when you're cruel. James, uh, my favorite verse about the tongue, uh, he says, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. 
profane language and all the rest, it dishonors God's value. Even something like, holy cow. Hmm, cow. Like the one Aaron made and worshipped. Number four, the Sabbath. Uh, so again, first uh, point about this is work is good. Work is good. Second point, rest is good too. We'll talk much more about this when we get to our special on Leviticus, particularly Leviticus 25. But the point is, do you? it's, about, it's all about uh, Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. But do you trust God to meet your needs? Period. I'll just put a period. Do you trust God to meet your needs? Yes or no? Whenever I, I'm consumed by greed, that's always what it comes back to. It's me not trusting God to provide. Do you? Do you trust God to meet your needs to provide? Or are you all about rush, 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 me, 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 I have to, I have to, I have to, it's in my control, I know what's best, I need to do this, I, me, me, right? No. Trust God to provide. Again, the year of Jubilee, well, there was a Sabbath for the land every seven years. It was don't even work the land on the seventh years. Trust seventh year. Trust me, and the Jubilee was the 50th year, which is a little more than that anyway. But the point is, uh, God wants you to trust him and rest like he did. Let's take a break here uh, on these commandments. These first four, right? Again, these first four are between you and God. The next six are between you and other people. But my, my final Exodus point we get before we get to the great Dennis Prager is you are the Israelites. Again, the whole point of these is to understand the relevancy. It's you, right? When you're reading Exodus and you're reading about the Israelites, it's you. Just like one of the, the, the number one point that uh, Jordan Peterson helped me understand is that when you read history, you must see yourself as the bad guy in the story. He always uses the example of Germany, right? If you lived in Nazi Germany, you would not be the people hiding Anne Frank. You wouldn't. You wouldn't be the good guy because there were very few of those people. So just statistically, that wouldn't be you. You'd be the Nazi. You'd be the person guarding the concentration camp. Or at best, you'd be the person who stayed silent while all those atrocities went on. You would not be the person speaking up. You wouldn't. You need to read yourself as the bad guys in the story to understand your own depravity. So then you're inspired to work and focus on these Ten Commandments so that you don't actually be the bad guy in your actual life. Does that make sense? And when you read Exodus and you see how foolish these Israelites are, right? They get fed manna in the desert for 40 years. Their clothes don't get dirty for 40 years. Their clothes don't get dirty or torn for 40 years. They've been rescued and freed. They saw the stinking Red Sea part and the whole thing. And they still don't trust God. How can they be so foolish? I say. And that is me. We can give a million examples. I mean, the Salem witch trials, right? You read about the Salem witch trials, and this is what your kids are taught. Is, oh, look at those dumb, evil, terrible Christians. Oh, you missed the point. If you were alive back then, if you were in Salem, you'd, you'd be drowning witches too. You'd be burning the witches. Know that. Realize that. And once you do, you'll realize how much more you need God. Ten Commandments is a good place to start. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments, but how much do we really know? Maybe you've heard these aspects of the book of Exodus, but we're going to get some incredible insight from Tom Askell coming up later. 
And up next, Dennis Prager, who has written an amazing commentary on Genesis, Exodus, and the next one is Deuteronomy coming out. So we'll talk to the great Dennis Prager next. Mike Slater, spread the word. Hey, Cider Crusaders, welcome back to our special on Exodus. The, the mission statement of this, again, is for us to understand the, the relevancy of this book that was written a long, long time ago and, uh, and to hopefully inspire you to read it again or, or perhaps even for the first time. Uh, there's no better person truly in the country to talk about the book Exodus than our next guest. I'm a huge fan, nationally syndicated radio show host, of course, founder of PragerU, and uh, author of the most popular commentary in the country on the Bible. I'm working my way, I'm almost done through Genesis, I'm on the stories of Joseph, uh, and obviously he has one on Exodus and he has a new one coming out on Deuteronomy. You must buy them, they're absolutely fantastic. Mr. Dennis Prager, how are you, sir? Well, gee, it was worth it just for that introduction. <laughs> we should call it now. Uh, now you gotta live up to it, sir, I'm sure you will. Uh, right. Help us with the relevancy aspect of this book and, and of human nature in the whole Bible, but Exodus in particular. Actually, of the five books, uh, the first of the five books of Moses, the first I did was Exodus. For one, one thing, it has the Ten Commandments in it, and as I tell my uh, audiences on my radio show, if you want to defund the police, there is a way to do it. Just get everybody to observe the Ten Commandments then you can defund the police. Uh, my, my dream is simply that people obey the Ten Commandments. It's not a big uh, not a big dream. Well, maybe I guess I guess it is a big dream, but uh, you would think that that shouldn't that shouldn't be that difficult. Obviously there will be you know some sinning here and there. I mean that's that's human nature and I understand it. but if people try to live by the Ten Commandments, the world would be a beautiful place. So that's why I did Exodus. Of course, the Ten Commandments are repeated not exactly verbatim it's a fascinating difference if you want to get into it but in deuteronomy so that so it's twice in the torah the first five books this book is of uh, if it, it, this book was of course like all the books of, of the bible especially the first five it was a world changing for one thing it said that god doesn't like slavery there was no, there were no gods in the history of the world who disliked slavery. The idea that an ancient god would liberate slaves uh, is so preposterous as, as to be literally, to have been unthinkable. So you have here uh, this incredible moment of God intervening in history, liberating slaves, but it's very important to remember the purpose of the liberation of slaves was not just to liberate slaves, but to give them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And that too is an enormous lesson there are two forms of slavery in life, slavery to external bondage and, exter and, and slavery to internal bondage. As every addict knows, they are enslaved to their addiction more than they are to any other human being or to any government. So you can't be free, and the, and the Bible wants us to be free. That was what the founders understood, the great, great Bible-centered founders of the United States. God wants us to be free. So you are liberated from Egypt and Pharaoh, and then you are liberated from you and your nature with the Ten Commandments. 
as our founders believed, we were the second great exodus from that's uh, that's right. The the exactly. You, you, you mentioned uh, other faiths, and one of my favorite things you used to do on your radio show is have uh, these discussions with other leaders of other faith, uh, faiths right. in the world. Is there any other faith in the world that has anything like the Ten Commandments? Uh, no, certainly not the Code of Hammurabi, and no, no this is no, no insult intended, but uh, the Ten Commandments do not appear in the Quran. Uh, there are there are other moral lessons in the Quran, but uh, the Ten Commandments is a Judeo-Christian principle. It is probably the well, it's one of the great uniting aspects that allows people to say Judeo-Christian, even though they don't have the same theology, but they have the same values. I want to talk about the the plagues. We're going to talk more about the Ten Commandments in the next segment too, with our next guest. But the plagues. Obviously, a super fascinating aspect of the story here. Um, what is? How do you prove first that they actually happened? Obviously, Egyptian history does not record these things happening. Uh, what's your evidence for them? My evidence is is macro, not micro. I, I, how can I prove that frogs engulfed Egypt? I mean, <laughs> it, it's it, it's impossible. Obviously, uh, there are things that I take on faith, nevertheless, my road to faith is through entirely through reason. That's why I call my, my explanation, my commentary, the rational Bible. I only use reason. So the, by the way, reason and proof are not the same thing. I can't, I can't prove that, uh, that, you know, some medieval king existed. But reason leads me to believe it. I believe that what is written in the Torah, the first five books, uh, is uh, happened because the credibility of those five books in general is so awesome. And uh, I will tell you one thing that uh, you will not expect uh, to hear that I think is very persuasive, certainly is for me. The, uh, the Hebrew Bible is constantly critical of the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. That gives it tremendous legitimacy. No group of people make up self-criticism. It just, it just never happened. And here you have a constant critique of the people for whom this Bible, from whom this Bible came. So, uh, I find that and and the vast amount of other things that are true, the ancient historicity, uh, things that nobody later could have known and which we have now verified. But uh, whether or not you, not you personally, but one who reads this believes that the 10 plagues took place literally is of no great consequence to me. What I want people to understand is the message that they gave. The, the God of the Hebrews, which is the God of the world, smote, if you will, to use a biblical term, the gods of Egypt. All of the, uh, all of the plagues were against the gods of Egypt, beginning with the Nile and blood. They worshiped the Nile. You worship the Nile, guess what? I will turn the Nile into blood. This is the powerful message 
the powerful message is how uh, much coercion it took to persuade Pharaoh to he, he to let the Hebrews go, the Israelites go. I mean, the whole the whole story is filled with lessons. Well, we don't have to go through all of the plagues, ten. Uh, but what what were some of the other ones? Like, what what other attacks on the gods were like the frogs? Well, the, the so the next is is blood, then frogs, frogs. The they, animals were worshipped in in Egypt, and various of the worshipped animals were affected by the plagues. Darkness, the penultimate plague, is against the chief uh, god of Egypt, oh, yeah. Ra, the sun. So look, the god of the universe can block out the sun. The great message of the Torah uh, is that God controls nature. God is not in nature. We, we today worship nature. The Judeo-Christian individuals worship God, not nature. Nature is the handiwork of God. I put up the sun and I put up the moon just in order to give you some light. They are my servants. They are not gods. I, I, I extinguish the light of the sun, Egypt, because the sun is not a god. Of the, of the plays, I think it was the first, this always bothered me a little bit, I'm really curious to take, that the magicians were able to do the same with the first, like the blood, I think the frogs and the gnats. Or maybe it was the gnats that got them. I think it was the gnats when they were like, can't do that. Uh, so, like, why why were they able to do even the first few, and then why were they unable to do the next? Well, that one? that also gives gives the text credibility. The fact that the the these powers, whatever they might have been, were were attributable to the the, the magicians of Pharaoh, is a fascinating little tidbit. I I find that credibility giving. But here's my take. The uh, it's, it's actually, I think, one of the most hilarious moments in the uh, in the five books of Moses in the Torah. So uh, the 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 waters of Egypt turn into blood, and then there, but there is some water that was still preserved as water, and the magicians come to Pharaoh and say, "Hey, look, we can ruin the water too." You would think the magicians, if they had any intelligence, would say, hey, wait a minute, we can turn it back into water. Instead, <laughs> these idiots turn the only remaining water into blood. It's, it's truly a, a, a laughing moment at the expense of Pharaoh's magicians. That's the message as far as I'm concerned. Great point. Um, why was Pharaoh, to go back a bit, why was Pharaoh concerned about the Jews in his land at all? Why, why treat them as slaves and why be so worried about them? Well, the reason he gives is that they're getting very uh, numerous and then they will overtake us. Of course, it, it, it's very hard to believe that they were as numerous uh, that the, to the extent that they could overtake the Egyptians. And if they were that numerous, how could they enslave them? So it's sort of a, uh, a harbinger of a future anti-Semitism. Oh, the Jews are controlling everything. It's, uh, you know, Jews are 1% of Germany, and, and Hitler said, it's either the Jews or us who will survive. I mean, uh, it, it's, it, it's a recurring theme in Jewish history. Mm, interesting. Uh, why did Pharaoh, can we, let's talk about Pharaoh's hardened heart. Who hardened it? 
What does that mean? And how was Pharaoh not freaked out during the first, so let's say, nine of the plagues? What's going on with him? It's, it's really astonishing, isn't it? It shows you how little he cared about his own people. His magician said, let them leave. This is the finger of God. Uh, but he still didn't. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God did. And I'll, I explain that in my commentary as well. The, the Hebrew, by what? the way, says, the Hebrew says strengthened as well as hardened. It uses both verbs. So we'll talk about strengthened and, uh, for a moment. If I twist your arm and say, uh, you know, give me, give me, uh, give me all your, the jewelry in your house. So, of course, you will give me the jewelry of your house if I twist your arm hard enough. So, it, it, you, you did not give me your jewelry of your free will. So, what God did was strengthen Pharaoh's heart after any number of plagues in order for him to exercise free will. God's strengthening Pharaoh's heart gave Pharaoh free will. So this is not widely understood, but when, when I explain it, people understand it. Of course, he's, there's no free will when you're in the middle of a plague. So God makes him strong after, the, after every series of plagues so that he can actually exercise free will. And he did. And he uh, obstructed the right of the Hebrews to leave. Interesting. Let, let me, let's consider the opposite. What if God weakened Pharaoh's heart? What would that do? Well, God did that... weaken Pharaoh's heart with the plagues. That's why he had to strengthen it. <laughs> what, if he, what if God didn't do it that way? Well, then what he would, the would have let them go solely uh, because, theoretically, he would have let them go solely because he was coerced as a result of the plagues. But as we find out, even after the slaying of the firstborn, he would still have brought them back into Egypt as slaves. So he, clearly he never had any intention, no matter what price his people paid. By the way, it's again, it's an interesting uh, parallel to Hitler. Uh, Hitler was totally prepared to have Germany destroyed so long as he could wipe out the Jews. Mm. What, a, what about the innocence of the Egyptian people to pharaohs? So uh, I deal with that too. I try to deal with every difficult moral issue in, in my rational Bible commentary. And uh, the, the guilt of the Egyptians is established very early on when it says that the people aided Pharaoh uh, in, the, uh, in the enslavement of, of the Israelites. This was not a one-man job. The, the people collaborated. And I, I deal with a very vexing issue. Is there such a thing as collective guilt? And, and there is. There is such a thing as collective guilt. That was established in Sodom and, and uh, Gomorrah. Yeah. The, you know, if there were 10 righteous men uh, in, in, in Sodom, then I'll still, I'll, 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 uh, I'll save it. But if there were under 10, I'm sorry. They'll die with the others in Sodom. Mm. Uh, we are responsible for our societies. You can't, uh, you can't play video games when your society is going down, when your society <laughs> is doing bad things, or, or you will suffer. 
Look at how many Germans suffered. Uh, not every German was guilty, but uh, they, they didn't do anything. And, and so fighting evil is, is in your self-interest, even if you're not motivated to do so for altruistic reasons. Mr. Prager, I, I could talk to you all day. I'm grateful for you, and I want everyone to go buy the book, uh, Exodus and Genesis. Exodus first, then Genesis and Deuteronomy is coming out soon, um, although a little out of order, but for good reason. My last question for you, sir. How has our nation's reaction to COVID, what has our nation's reaction to COVID revealed about our understanding of God, of the Bible, and, and revealed about our culture in general? Well, uh, that, that I could spend uh, hours with you. I would really ask uh, your, uh, your viewers to go to my website or go to Town Hall or many others and read my very, very recent column on COVID and the failure of American religions. Th this was a, uh, this was a, a test, uh, of course, of the American people. Will they obey irrational authority? And half of them willingly did half have not willingly done so, and the religions did not lead us, with some great exceptions amongst some evangelical Christians and uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews. Uh, but uh, otherwise, the religion's response was, uh, we will shut down our churches and synagogues for no good reason, no good reason I emphasize. I conducted services for 400 people, the last Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the high holy days of Judaism. No mask requirement, no vaccination requirement, nobody got sick. You didn't want to come, you didn't come. I, I streamed it, so you could stay home. Well, why could I do this? I'm not even a rabbi. I, 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 I served as such, so to speak, but I'm not one. Why, why could I do this and, and other synagogues didn't or other churches didn't? The, the supine response across the board uh, in, in, uh, in religious life is a very scary development. And what's going to happen is they punish themselves. They made their congregants used to not showing up at church. Mm -hmm. How do you know they'll return, dear pastor, mm -hmm. dear priest, dear rabbi? How do you know they'll return? They got You got them, you, not Fauci, you got them used to not coming to church. And that's one reason why we're doing these specials, to reinvigorate people's understanding of the word and to get people back to church. This is the supplement to merely. Uh, and this is the commentary you need to buy. This is the Genesis one. Get the Exodus and the Deuteronomy from the great Dennis Prager. Mr. Prager, what's your website? Where should we forward people? DennisPrager.com and, of course, PragerU.com. Sir, I hope we can do it again. I'd love it. Thanks. I'm grateful. DennisPrager.com. Uh, coming up next, Tom Askell. We'll talk a little more about the Ten Commandments part of Exodus. Mike Slater, spread the word. Hey, Slater Crusaders, welcome back to our special about Exodus. Again, the mission statement of, of these specials here is to uh, help us all understand the, the relevancy to today of these books that were written a real long time ago, and also hopefully to uh, inspire 
us all to read it for the first time or read it again. And I can think of no better person to help us do this than Pastor Tom Askell. He's the pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. He's the founder, uh, the president of the uh, Founders Ministry, which you must check out and support and read and watch everything they're doing there and also uh, at the Institute of Public Theology. Pastor, how are you, sir? Doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on again. It's, a, it's an honor. Let me just throw you the general question. Uh, why is okay. Exodus still relevant today? Well, uh, Exodus, Exodus is the, the book that tells the main story of the Old Testament, and it prefaces everything that's to come in the New Testament because this great event of God delivering his people who are in bondage to slavery there in Egypt and taking them from that slavery to the land of promise, uh, that is a prefigurement of everything that he has always intended to do and has done through the coming of Jesus Christ and delivering his people from the bondage of sin into eternal life through him. So it's, it is a high watermark in the Old Testament. Let me make sure I get that parallel right. Bondage of slavery of the Jews, delivery out of, Exodus out of, uh, as right. Jesus delivers us out of the bondage of our sin. Is that the parallel? That's exactly right. Yeah, that was all uh, for the purpose. I mean, there was wonderful things done in that event itself of the Exodus that's recorded in the book of Exodus, but all of that was a prefigurement of what was to happen when Jesus Christ came into the world as the one greater than Moses, uh, the one that Moses prefigured. Moses prophesied about that the prophet greater than me will arise, and uh, Jesus delivers his people by his life, death, and resurrection out of sin into uh, the wonderful land of eternal life. And then the other obvious parallel that I go back to all the time is whenever I read this, I, I think, geez, Israelites, you dopes, like get it together. <laughs> you know? That's right. And then my wife has to remind me that that's, that's us, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the wilderness wanderings are like a mirror uh, for us. And you see they're grumbling and complaining. I mean, it's amazing. You know, God delivers them out of Egypt through these miraculous displays in the plague, parts the Red Sea. And what do they do? I mean, immediately, immediately they start grumbling and complaining. You know, we don't have leeks and onions here. And, and we had plenty of food in Egypt. And you brought us out here to die. Weren't there enough burial places in Egypt? And and you think, you know, did you guys forget what just happened in God's miraculous display? And that's, that's a commentary on us, too. That's exactly what we do. God saves us from sin. He delivers us from the consequences of our sin, eternal condemnation in hell. And then we get in a traffic accident. We think, oh, you know, God's forgotten us, and he doesn't care mm -hmm. about us anymore. So, yeah, it's, it is a, it's a wonderful commentary on the struggles we have in this world, on the reality of sin that remains in us as Christians and of the faithfulness of God to always do what he says to deliver his people safely home. Let's go back to God and Jesus delivering us from eternal damnation. That's an important point because even, certainly back in my atheist days, but even now I tend to go back to, oh yeah, but if I saw the Red Sea parted, right? If I could hike <laughs> from San Diego to Hawaii, through the ocean, right? Then I would def. I wouldn't be grumbling then, right? So, yeah. why why is that a foolish thought? Yeah, it is a foolish thought. I mean, uh, Jesus said, you know, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, and He tells us that we are in a greater privileged position because now we have the Spirit 
in full. And you just think about what what we benefit from that Moses and those Israelites, all the Old Testament saints did not benefit from. And that is they saw through shadows and types, you know, through anticipations, what God was going to do in sending the one eternal Savior of sinners. We live on this side of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so we have the historical record that there was a real man who came into this world named Jesus, who declared himself to be the Son of God in flesh and demonstrated that by his miracles, his teachings, and then ultimately his death on the cross, which he said was in behalf of his people, and then his resurrection from the dead three days later, never to die again. These are historical facts. These have been verified. And so here we are. We, we live with the certain knowledge that there was this man who lived and died, who came back from the dead, and never has died again 2,000 years later. So all the Old Testament miracles that we look to and say, man, wouldn't it have been great to experience that? We have something far better than they ever got to experience in their walk of faith. Yeah, amazing. Uh, let's go to the Ten Commandments. And there's a couple of questions. I think the ultimate question that I'm going to ask you later is, what do we do with these now that we're on the other side, that, that Jesus has come to fulfill, right? I, I want to ask you to explain that. But before we get to that, uh, if you could pick one of these ten that you wish we could just all follow perfectly <laughs> to the T, which which one would, you, would it be? Oh, it'd have to be the first one. You know, we have no other gods before the one true God, because if you don't get that one right, it doesn't matter what you try to approximate in the other nine. And really, you can't keep any of them without the first. Um, Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he further summarized it at the end of Matthew chapter 5 when he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the commandments tell us what God requires of his image bearers and first and foremost is we must know God and have God as God. There is no other God in all of the world. It, 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 all, the, all the gods that have ever existed or people have talked about or written about, they are just the creations of fertile imaginations. That's all they are. They're false gods. There's one true God, and we are to have him, know him, and have no other God beside him. So were we to keep that, we would... We would trust Jesus Christ because the one true God is Father of Jesus Christ, sent Christ into the world that we might know him and be delivered from our sin. So I often put it like this, you know, the, the Ten Commandments were given, obviously, to the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament era. But do you know what you would call a faithful Jew if he uh, kept the commandments, if he really did understand what God was doing. You know what a, a, a faithful Jew would have been called in the first century? He would have been called a Christian because he would have come to know the true God through God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Uh, let me go into detail on the second one, the carved image or any likeness of anything that's in mm -hmm. heaven above. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. I'm the Lord your God, a jealous God. Maybe we can talk about the jealous part. Uh, this is interesting. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. That's the longest of the commandments as well. Uh, there's a lot there. Why all that extra stuff as opposed to just don't murder? Yeah, well, I, I think what God is doing here is showing us indeed his uniqueness and the severity 
of the crime in denying his uniqueness or thinking that we can somehow manage him. I mean, you, you cannot come up with any image to uh, define God or to capture God or to represent God. So that's why we're, we're shut up to his revelation of himself to us and to try to, to approximate uh, in some way that we think will be helpful, you know, through images or icons or drawings or whatever the, to help people know God. It's impossible because all of them fall short uh, of who God really is. And so to do that is to make a false God. And God takes that very seriously. He is jealous. I mean, what does that mean? You know, we've Oprah Winfrey and others have said, you know, well, I wouldn't worship a God who's uh, so self-consumed. Well, you're completely misunderstanding the real world that the real God has created. Because were you and I to worship anything other than God or to to try to uh, acknowledge any being as supreme other than God, it would be idolatry. Well, in one sense, that's true for God, too. So were I to say, well, Tom Askell's the greatest person, I'm just going to be jealous if anybody doesn't worship me, well, that would be idolatry. But it would be idolatry for God if he didn't do that, because he is the supreme being, and therefore he's just manifesting his uh, integrity, his wholeness, his godness by declaring himself to be a jealous God who will not hold those who are guilty of trying to manage him or bring him down to some kind of image. Uh, he's not going to hold such people guiltless because they are pursuing false gods at that point. Uh, a terrible thing to have you do in, in less than 60 seconds, but how is a Christian to balance the uh, Ten Commandments given by God and then the fulfillment of the law through Jesus? Yeah, well, Jesus Christ came into the world. He made the law honorable. He loved the law. And if we're going to love Jesus, we need to love what he loves. So Jesus didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. What he did is he showed us what they look like fulfilled. So he kept the law for us perfectly. We're not, we don't keep the law today so that we can become right with God. Christians try to keep the law today because we've been made right with God and we want to be like Jesus. So the law is not a ladder that we climb to get to God. It's more like railroad tracks that we travel on because we've been made right with God. And this is what pleases God. This is his commandment. His law has not changed. These moral uh, certitudes are something that have been true from the beginning. Before the Ten Commandments were written on stone, it was written on the heart of Adam. And it remains God's will for people today. So we look to that and we delight in the law, not as something that makes us right with God, but because we've been made right with God. Perfection. Pastor Tom Askell, uh, everyone go watch everything at the Founders Ministry, the podcast, uh, the, the documentaries and, and, and writings, of course, everything at the Founders Ministry. Uh, Tom, an honor, sir. I hope we can do it frequently. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Good to see you, brother. Thank you, brother. You too. Coming up next, we'll, we'll wrap up the rest of the Ten Commandments. We did one through four. Now we'll do six through ten next. Mike Slater. Spread the word. Hey, Slater Crusaders. Welcome back to uh, our Exodus special. It's been fantastic. I'm so grateful for our, our guests. So I got to pay off my, my promise here. So uh, to go through the Ten Commandments, the first four are about you and God, vertical. The next six are about you and your relationships, people around you. The fifth commandment, I think it's the most important of these human relationships. Honor your father and mother. Notice this is in the positive. It doesn't say, thou shalt not dishonor says you must actively honor. 
uh, when uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, in the last days, there will, be, uh, uh, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. Uh, one of them is disobedient to their parents. <laughs> Disobeying parents lays the groundwork for disrespecting authority, all authority. The cultural disrespect you see towards police officers, towards teachers, etc., it first comes from a generation, generations of kids taught to dishonor their father and mother. Number six, don't murder people. Uh, first of all, all murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Hmm. Self-defense, uh, stuff like that. The real point here is life is sacred. All of life is sacred, from the fetus to the elderly, the rich and the poor, all skin colors, etc. A man is made in God's image. Don't take that life. Jesus takes it to the next level, though, right? He says, you've heard that it was said uh, of the, to those of old, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. So it's not just about not pulling the trigger. It's about not even having hate in your heart. Seventh commandment, sex and marriage are sacred. When God made Eve, uh, in Genesis it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's unbelievable, one flesh. God has an infinitely higher calling for marriage and sex than the world does. Right? The world says sex and marriage, it's just about passing emotions and it's fleeting and it's whatever is easy and convenient and about me, 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 me right now. And God says, no, it's about becoming one flesh. So this, of course, has to do with sex before marriage, extramarital pornography, right, which we should honestly do an entire special on. Um, but know that God made sex in the uniting force of marriage. And if you read Song of Solomon, which is in the Bible, you'll see God's celebration of sex. It is sacred. Treat it as such. Number eight, don't steal things. Uh, the Bible speaks uh, throughout it of property theft, kidnapping, <laughs> stealing people, uh, defrauding employee employers, right? unjust weights, right? So misleading someone for your own gain. Proverbs 20 says, uh, it's like, oh, it's no good, it's no good, says the buyer, and then goes off and boasts about his purchase, right? Just trying to scam out someone at the flea market, for instance, right? Uh, not paying taxes, uh, not working when you're on the clock, right? These are all being deceitful, ways of stealing. God says not to do it. Here's the heart of it. Are you a giver or a taker? Are you a giver or a taker? Because God is generous you. So be generous to other people too. Uh, great Proverbs says, uh, food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouth full of gravel. Pretty good. Uh, number nine, don't bear false witness. Right? So again, misleading, deceitful. Uh, later in, in Deuteronomy, Moses repeats this command, uh, but the Hebrew word that he uses means more insincere. So it's when you, even if you slightly uh, mislead someone, then you're being insincere. And again, where's your heart in this? Where's your heart? Are you faithfully representing the facts? Are you being honest? Uh, Jesus says a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. 
and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. Your tongue says what your heart is thinking. If you're lying, even if you're fibbing, check your heart. Check your heart. The truth will set you free. And 10, don't covet. Don't covet. Uh, this is being content. I see this with my five and three-year-old and almost two-year-old all the time. They want more, <laughs> right? And it doesn't matter how many times you lecture your sinful little kids, follies bound in the heart of a child, that you can lecture them about how kids in Afghanistan are dying of starvation as my kids are yelling at each other because she got more uh, sour cream on her tacos than I did. And it's like, give me a break, kids. Be grateful that you have any sour cream. Be grateful you have clean water. Be content and you can lecture your kids about this all day. I'm the one who needs the lecture. Instagram is entirely, uh, the business model is about making people discontent with their life. Now, uh, you may look at these and say, great, I've, uh, I'm, I got it. I'm perfect. I've never murdered anyone. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm good to go. No, you're not. Be honest. Be honest. And realize that you need a savior. Because you've coveted. Come on. You've coveted. So what do we do about this now? <laughs> Real quick on the covetedness. Like, you own nothing. You own nothing. It's all going to burn up in the end. You don't own it. You don't even own yourself. You should be. Paul brags about being a slave to Christ. That is true freedom. True freedom is knowing you own nothing. It's all on loan to you from God and that you aren't your own God. That truth will set you free. Everyone can say they're a good person when you compare yourselves to someone who's worse than you, right? So we think we can do this thing on our own. That's freedom, right? No, that's foolishness. How's it going for you? God's laws are true freedom. Jesus did not save you from loneliness or depression or poverty or lack of meaning or lack of fulfillment. He saved you. First, so you don't go to hell. He loves you. But you need to recognize that you are not perfect. And thank goodness, because Jesus took the punishment for our sin so that you can have a relationship with God now and forevermore for all of eternity. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And all the viewers said,